Hey everyone, if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain it to you. It's free. There's a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. I'll be listening. Welcome to Visibility Unlimited. I'm Leslie Short, your host and owner of The Cavo Group. We work with companies and organizations to expand beyond their current culture. Visibility Unlimited discusses topics focusing on diversity, inclusion, leadership, culture, and current events. Look out for my book, Expand Beyond Your Current Culture, out January 2021. Enjoy this episode and remember to subscribe to stay updated on future podcasts. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Visibility Spotlight, Visibility Unlimited Spotlight. And if you're listening on the podcast, uh, welcome to Visibility Unlimited. I have a very special guest with me today. And I know I say that every time, but um, it's really true. I would like to welcome a very good friend, an amazing man, and a great conversationalist, Mr. Joe Pryor. Thank you, Leslie, for having me. I appreciate being here today. Absolutely. Joe, we've known each other for a long time, and we've had conversations through this last year and however many months um, we've been in between COVID um, and how things were happening in COVID. But yeah. then with the, the murder of George Floyd, we, we start having even deeper conversations um, because you... Um, I'm going to say were, even though I know it's in your blood, a black man wearing the blue for so many years as an officer. So if you can share with us um, a snapshot of your history, that would be amazing. Wow. Um, thanks for again for having me. Um, I'm going to start by saying I started out in law enforcement with the L.A. County Sheriff's Department. I worked there for a number of years and I went to the Inglewood Police Department in Inglewood, California. Worked there again for a number of years. Um, I worked in the jails, I worked in the courts, I worked uh, narcotics, I worked vice, I worked a few special details, but I mainly worked in patrol, um, dealing with and apprehending criminals. That's, that was my job. So how did you even, and I mean, that's such a small piece, so we're getting to all the stuff that you do. I'm like, yeah, that's just, that, that was through the ranks, but why did you even wanna become an officer? Because that was also in the time near Watts and everything else, correct? Yeah, I, I grew up in Watson Compton and um, I was in college on uh, my first year of college. My best friend who was coming to college with me, Cal State LA, uh, we were both going to be lawyers. My uh, my major was uh, law. Um, we were, I was taking the, the PR courses that you have to take your first year. He was coming the following year. Um, he was killed by some gang members. Um, it was a case of mistaken identity. And when I went through the whole system of him going to his trial, um, going back and forth to court. At the time, I had a judge who was my mentor, and I had a DA who was my mentor. So I was following the case. I was sitting in on the case. The, the three people that killed him, they were juveniles. 
So they basically got no time. And they're probably out free right now if they're not dead, but they're probably out free right now. When that happened, it, it kind of hit a push a button in me and it changed my mindset from the way the law, the way the laws are structured. I decided I wanted to be a deputy sheriff or a police officer instead of being someone who was working in the court system. I was just disgruntled with it. Right. And he was a great person and he was killed for no reason other than he looked like somebody who they thought he was. So then how did you move through the ranks? Because you moved through the ranks. Yeah. Um, where most black men probably would not have moved through the ranks. I, 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 I think my, my mindset and the way that I did things was no nonsense. I didn't play games with people. Uh, my, I didn't think I was going to make it past my first week on the sheriff's department. I got into an incident when I was working in the county jail. My first uh, couple of days there, I was in a locker room. I got to work early. I'm one of those people that I always arrive early. Got to work early. I was getting dressed. I heard a couple of deputies um, who I didn't know, because like I said, I'd only been at the county jail for a week. Um, two white guys, and they were using the N-word, talking about another deputy that I had met earlier that week. And I went around the corner in the locker room and confronted them. And after our confrontation, um, I got called into the captain's office. But anyway, that kind of set a reputation for me on the sheriff's department that I was a no-nonsense guy. And instead of me being blackballed or me being you know, pushed to the side, anything I wanted to do, I was able to do. Well, I think you know, knowing you, I already know your work ethic today. I can only imagine what it was then with the passion driving you to succeed within. Yes. But I think what some people are missing sometimes is oh, because you're wearing blue, everyone's getting along. When there is that code of, uh, the, what is it, the blue wall of silence? But yeah. the reality is those things happen in the locker room for real. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And, and it's crazy because I worked, I worked narcotics, I worked vice, I worked patrol, I worked, like I said, I worked in jail, I worked all over. Mm -hmm. So I've seen a lot of different things. I've worked with a lot of guys. I've, I worked with a lot of good cops that were white and a lot of good cops that were black. And I worked with some black cops that were bad and white cops that were bad. But the bottom line to the whole thing is we had an idea of what we wanted to do as law enforcement officers. Every job is going to have bad apples. Mm -hmm. And that's unfortunate, especially in law enforcement. When you got people who have badges and guns and have basically almost a right to kill, right. that creates a problem a lot of times. So what is happening with policing I, I can't even say today because this is not new. We all have to be realistic. Like everyone's like, oh my God, it's new. It's not new. It's being filmed. You know, years ago, you had to wait for the news um, yeah. crews to show up to catch yeah. the aftermath. Well, we all are the news <laughs> and exactly. in, that, in that weird way. So what, and I know you can't answer for all police departments and there's, like you said, there's good police and bad police and black, white, purple, green, Hispanic. I don't, want to make it all about color or yeah. race. Um, but what is going on with policing? Because something is missing. I think. Um, I, I'm going to go with right now. It's, it's not like you said, it's been going on for years. We just didn't have the, we didn't have the, um, the evidence to show that things were happening the wrong way. We didn't have the evidence of people being beaten people being killed. It wasn't, it wasn't out there. We didn't have that. So now that we have it, 
the surprise to me is that guys are still stupid enough to do things. And that creates a problem in the fact that these people that are doing this stuff have a belief that they can do whatever they want to do. That's one of the problems. One well, of the they've, other been getting along. they've been getting away with it for so many years. Yes. Or slap on the wrist or you're suspended and still getting paid. Yes. And that's how that's, you know, we, we, we had this thing. Um, we used to call it sometimes the good old boy network. Mm-hmm. where they would do what they want, say what they want, create the kind of paperwork that would cover them. And like I say, now they can't get away with it. The reason it's still happening is because a lot of the old guard is still there. A lot of that old mindset is still there. A lot of it is because some of the people they're hiring, they're not scrutinizing people the way they used to. It used to be maybe one or two bad apples on the department. Now it's clusters. Mm -hmm. Now it's groups. And now they think they have this way of, I can do whatever I want, say what I want, write what I want on paper. And now they're being called to the carpet because there's video evidence. There's video evidence saying that you didn't, you know, this person didn't do anything. They had their hands up. Mm-hmm. They had their hands on the steering wheel. They didn't do the wrong thing and they still got shot. They still got killed. They still got beaten. When did it become, in your, in your thoughts, them against us? Like, you know, when you grew up or when I grew up, I'm going to start telling ages, you know, the police were someone you were supposed to go to if something happened. Yeah. That's who you called. You know, you knew them. You said hello. Even, you know me, I speak to everyone on the street now. I try to nod. I try to, you know, I want to acknowledge you're a human being. You're wearing a uniform. Right. And you're doing a job and you're putting your life on the line as well. I want to acknowledge a human being and go on. But when did it just this, this, it's us against them? Oh, a lot of it started about four years ago. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but you know what it is? It is? You know what it is? A lot of it did, a lot of it did rear its ugly head um during the last presidency and when i say it that way i mean people kind of kept to themselves people kind of kept their prejudice to themselves it will come out every now and then i've been followed in stores i've had people you know i'm a large black man i'm six four i'm 290 pounds i get on an elevator and there's a white woman on the elevator she grabs her purse right when i was younger it offended me now i laugh because it's like okay if i wanted your purse what are you going to do you know that you know that's, that's that's what i'm thinking and i'm laughing about it but a lot of it now is that they don't hold back the feelings. They don't hold back the words. Like you hear about the Kins and the Karens mm-hmm. doing their stuff that they do out there in the, in the street now. It's like they don't hold back anymore. So they say what they want. They do what they want because they feel they have a right to. So that is what's dividing us. That's one thing. Another thing is it's going to keep growing because there's no checks and balances. Right. The system hasn't changed. You know, they know 90% of the time, if they call the police, it's going to be a white police officer that comes. And that white police officer, depending on his training, depending on his his experience, depending on his reaction or relation with people, he's going to side with them. That's their mindset. Right. Right. You know, and then, and then at the same time, him having that mindset, or they have that mindset, he doesn't want to disappoint them by saying, I'm not going to listen to what you're saying because you're white and I'm white. So there is the 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 non-balance of I can get away with whatever. I'll do what I want. If I hate, I hate. There's enough of us that are in that group. So no pun intended, let the flags fly. Um, And then there is the whatever. 
because I almost feel like it's a whatever. And again, not for everyone. And so it goes back to the training. And we spoke about this before. And I don't know if you saw, um, and that's one of the reasons I was late jumping on. There is a police department now that is trying to shift the narrative. Yes. And now, and, and I wanted to, this is a two part for you. The shift in the narrative is they want, which scares me, the, the public, the people to be the customers. And they want officers to look at them as customers. Now I get the concept and everyone's buying in. Now, some of the companies they use the way that they treat their customers. I'm like, I don't know. You know, I love a good Starbucks, but I don't know if Starbucks is the company to use to treat their employees. Right. When we've had so many racial issues um, coming out of Starbucks as well. But the, the thought of customer does give a different mindset how you approach a human being. But let's go back to two other things. That's training great executives as opposed to the people on the street, the officers on the street. Yes. As opposed to the system, which is not broken. It was never designed for someone to be able to move through a system if you do not have the financial means or the outright to move through that system. So I know I gave you a lot. Break down any of that if you care to. <laughs> Well, when it when it when it comes to training, and like I said, unless you know the the whole thing with treat, treating citizens like customers, I get it, I see it. Unless you're Nordstroms, when Nordstroms went through their revamp and they overhired people, so that customer service was number one. Unless you're doing that, then okay, maybe that might work. But situations when you're dealing with the public and you're trying to treat the public in this situation as a customer, I don't see that happening. Mm -hmm. um, because in some cases, the customer is not always right. But if you're going to say the customer is right, then that means everybody gets an equal balanced share of what's going on. Now, <laughs> you, you can and can't do that. Right. You know, looking at it, looking at law enforcement from where I'm sitting in the training, they give everybody the same training. Um, the training should be better. Um, but the better training starts with hiring better officers. So is yep. that education? Is that living in your community? Um, what is what is what does it all encompass? If you had your wish, out on the West Coast, you don't have to live in your community that you work in. I know in New York you do. You have to live in your area that you work. Mm -hmm. I think that would help mm -hmm. in many cases. But just like in New York, you know, everybody says New York is like the melting pot and everybody gets along. Not everybody gets along in New York. And the bottom line to New York and just like LA. Everybody stays in their car in L.A. They drive to their job. They may have to mingle with some people. In New York, you get on the train. You may have to mingle with some people. But at the end of the day, everybody goes back to their neighborhood. White people go to neighborhood. Jewish people go to neighborhood. Blacks go to their neighborhood. Spanish go to their neighborhood. Everybody goes back to their neighborhood. Now, your neighborhood, if it's not patrolled by people that look like you, that understand you, that want to listen to you, not based on your color, mm -hmm. you're gonna have a tough time. And that's where the training comes in. If you can't give a person an equal shake based on their color, because when you walk up to them or you pull up in your police car and you have a preconceived idea and notion that everything about this person is wrong, mm -hmm. you're gonna treat them accordingly if you don't have enough sense or enough humanity to see the difference. Right. Because that goes back to the whole mental 
mental health and mental illness. If you are living in the neighborhood, you already have an idea who's who's who. Who's yes, moving absolutely. Out. Yeah. And therefore, there's a different approach when you go to meet Miss Mary or Mr. John that you know are not stable or you're like, they're not on their meds today. I'm going to make sure they get back to whoever's taking care of them instead of harassing them unless there's something really going on is an episode and it's dangerous. Yes. You, you take that extra step. But here's what, and I'm going to tell some things. When I know that chaplains in mental health, and I know they're trying to do mental health aids now, have tried to work with police, unless they had an outlet where they could get their message out, they always didn't want to work with someone that didn't have a church or didn't have this or didn't have that. Instead of when people were volunteering going, hey, I live here. Let me right. walk. Call me as a resource. How do we work together as a community past the politics of being in the community? The police departments have to be willing to work with the, with the uh, outside agencies or outside persons, outside individuals. Mm -hmm. A lot of times they don't want to. And that's, you know, I know better for my department. I know better for my for my precinct. So they don't want to do that a lot of times. Mm -hmm. if, they don't, if they don't get that early on, if it's not introduced to them in the right way, they're not going to want to deal with it or work with it. Because a lot of times, you know, when I was in the academy, they said to us, you're going to love everybody in your academy class. Then once you get to wherever you're working, you're going to love everybody in that in that place. Mm -hmm. And then once you leave there and you go to patrol, it's going to be you and the guys you work with on your shift. And then it'll be then it'll be you and your partner. And those are the only people that you're going to like. You're going to like yourself and your partner. So after the years go by, that's what winds up happening to a lot of cops. Mm -hmm. They don't like other cops. They don't trust other people. They don't trust the brass, the lieutenants, the captains, the sergeants, the chiefs. They don't trust a lot of people. They only trust the two people that are in that car. And that's what happens a lot of times. And when that happens, then you have people that are not acting in the right um, in the right way for the department to be a good department. Well, no, because if you're thinking that, then everybody's out to get you. Exactly. And so if everybody's out to get you when you show up to work, you yes. have, and tell me if I'm wrong, a feeling of no power and no options until you get out on the street with a badge and a gun that even the perception yes. is the power, whether it is right or wrong for that moment. That's what winds up happening. We're human, people make mistakes. But when ego comes into play, when people start living their ego, instead of living the law, there's, there's a spirit of the law and a letter of the law. You have two different ways. It's like somebody could jaywalk. I could give them a warning or I could, you know, the, this, right. um, the, Spirit of the law, I give you a warning. The letter of the law is I give you a ticket. If, if you are in that position where you don't have those feelings anymore and you think you have no power, now my power is I'm going to give you a ticket. You know, it's just like me walking up to a car. I pull somebody over. I had partners that I work with and I had to check them. I say, look, when you walk up to a car, when I, was, when I had trainees, I tell them, when you walk up to a car, you tell the person why you pulled them over. Don't walk up to somebody you just pulled over and they're probably scared as hell, mm -hmm. you know, and, and you say to them, do you know why I pulled you over? That's the dumbest thing you can say to a citizen. Right. You say, I pulled you over because you ran that stop sign. And if they say no, and if you think you're right, you write them a ticket, you move on about your business. Right. But if you walk up to a car and you ask somebody, do you know why I pulled you over? And they come back with the remark, don't you know why you pulled me over? 
then ego it's, comes a, it's a fair it's a fair remark back <laughs> exactly so you know make yourself clear when you're doing things especially in, in law enforcement you have to make yourself clear and a lot of guys don't do that and a lot of guys like i said they they think that the power is in the badge and the gun right. do as i say not as i do my word is law right now you can't do anything because i have control over the situation and a lot of times they don't right. and their word is not law when they are breaking the law on the exactly. way that we're handling the situation or going outside or they would say, as they say, stretching or pulling. And look, this is not an anti-police conversation. No, not at all. You are, were an officer. I have family members that were the first black chief of police in South Carolina that have an officer. This is a real conversation that we all need to be having. Because Absolutely. we're throwing around, I don't like this one, and I don't this, and I don't trust this one. We haven't had a conversation of how do we even begin to move this together, which goes into you know where I'm going. The buzzword of the moment, or uh, the phrase, defund the police. Yeah. So I know my feelings about the lack of context that comes with that. I would love to hear yours. You know, I heard that phrase a lot. Um, especially during the, uh, the, the last election, you know, everybody was talking about defund the police. A lot of these organizations are picketing and they're saying defund the police. I don't believe in defunding the police. I believe in proper training. I believe in putting the right money behind it. But I also believe in, again, you got to start with getting good people. And that's the thing. You have to get people that really want to do the job. They're not, they're not just, they're not just going to be badge hungry or power hungry. I'm raising my hand with a question on that one. Okay. <laughs> okay. Because you're saying get good people. And I hear that. And of course we all want that. And then you hear, well, the rules are so tight that people don't want to come. You're risking your life. We're not allowed to do this. We can't do that. We can't do this. So we can't recruit people. Thoughts on, on the, all the can'ts, right? Yeah, um, that makes it tough. But it just means you got to do your, your job that much harder. You got you got to get you out to do the job. It's like a lot of people that can run for office now mm -hmm. because they did maybe one or two dumb things in the past. They know that's going to be brought up so they won't run. They could be a great person. They could be a really good person. Now, if you exhaust every possible means to find out why this person did what they did or what they said or whatever happened, and then you decide, okay, you're going to be a good candidate, then I'd say go ahead and do that. But it's going to take money to investigate people and you can't defund if you're trying to bring in the right people. The more you defund, the lower the quality people you're going to be bringing in. That's with anything. It's with the military. It's with law enforcement. It's with um, large companies. You know, if they if they say, well, we want everybody that comes in this company to have a high school diploma. A lot of jobs require common sense. Law enforcement is one of those jobs. It's a common sense job. Yeah, Huh? <laughs> Most people don't have common sense. Exactly. I don't care what job it is. That's the more common sense you have, coupled with a little bit of education, you could do that job forever and, and move through the ranks. But if you don't have common sense, and if you're not trying to learn about people, about other cultures, about the city and the neighborhood you work in, mm -hmm. if you're not trying to learn that stuff, it's not going to work. Well, there's also talk about officers having to have a college education at this point in order to even enter the academy that they have to have a certain amount of college education. Um, I, you're I'm just saying, listen, I'm just doing my research and here what's, what's going on. Yeah. That some of the states are gonna start requiring that. 
I don't see it as a bad thing as long as what they're some of the courses that are taking, because you can go to college and be English lit and come out and just, you know, hold the gun to my head and just do some poetry. I don't know. Exactly. Exactly. If you're not being educated in culture and cultures, if you're not in language and um, psychiatry and, and mental illness and in the other tools that should be invested in, any human being that you're going to give a gun and a badge and put out on the street and say, go protect others and hope you don't get killed along the way. You know, it, it, it's both ways that I want to, I would think I would want to be well-educated to where I'm walking into and assigned where I need to go. You should be, you, you should have education. You should have knowledge of who you're working with, the kind of people you're working with, the types of religions, uh, nationalities, um, people that have mental health problems. You need to learn all that stuff. My mom, my mom was a psych nurse. She worked with psychiatric patients. She worked at uh, Martin Luther King Hospital here in, uh, in Compton. Mm-hmm. I went in there with her a couple of times just to watch and study people. Right. I learned that a lot of these people that, especially if they've been in the system and they've been into a hospital, mm-hmm. I don't know why it is they like to smoke. I don't smoke, but I've encountered people that have mental problems I used to keep a pack of cigarettes in my war bag in the trunk. I go, hey, let me give you a cigarette. I had a guy one time who was, he, he was sitting at a bus stop in the city of West Hollywood, hitting himself in the head with his own fist to the point where if he, if he had any sense, he would have knocked himself out. That's how hard he was hitting himself. Right. My partner was like, we can't approach that guy. I'm like, yeah, I got something out. Don't worry about it. I only got the guy, I gave the guy a cigarette. He calmed down. I was able to call somebody from Cedar sinai mm-hmm. to get him over there to have a conversation with this guy. They right. took him in. But if you don't understand or, or try to learn about people, that situation could have turned really bad. We could have gotten to a wrestling match with the guy. He could have tried to take one of our guns. He could have beat the crap out of one of us. You never know what would have happened. He could have took our car and drove off. Right. But if you don't try and learn how to deal with situations and people, then you're not going to grow. Right. And this is one of those jobs where you need to learn. You need to grow. So here's my thing on defund. I say review, restructure, relearn, redistribute, and re-enter. re-enter I, that works. <laughs> no, that, that, that works. Yeah. Somebody call me because we're looking at um, we're looking at something and saying it doesn't work, it doesn't work, but we're not looking at why is it not working? Where can it work? And so, yes, there may be certain things that are defunded for the money to be moved elsewhere for different type of education. Right. You know, for the officers, that there is more money on the street, that there is part of a community center where our police can go and understand what's happening and it's not run down. And it becomes community. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, but you you have to remember though, they're going to need funding for that. Anytime they have to be retrained, they're going to have to have funding to retrain them. Which is fine, but the the amount of money that some some not all clearly um, departments receive, where is it going if it's not being retrained? If they're not, if the officers themselves aren't getting new equipment, right? So something is off where the funding is being distributed at this moment. So when I say defund, I say redistribute, re- review on where it needs to go 
<laughs> okay, no, 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 no. That that makes sense. But I'm you know you know where the money's going now. Tell me. Lawsuits. Very true. Every time one of these idiots <laughs> does something stupid, even if they settle the case without going to court and they pay the person off, it's going to be a minimum of a half a million dollars. Right. So every time a small city mm-hmm. or a small agency, it's not the big, not like LA, not like LA city or LA County or New York city, but let's say, let's say a small, a small city, like let's say the city of Inglewood, right. or let's say this Culver city, or let's say, you know, some of the smaller counties in New York, mm-hmm. anytime somebody, one of the officers does something stupid, some of their budget is going to go to lawsuits. Valid point, Joe. Absolutely. You know what I mean? So that, that, <laughs> And that's on the department. We had a guy years ago when I was on the sheriff's department. Mm-hmm. He taught a class called verbal judo. And it was how to talk to people to get them to do what you need to have them do. Mm-hmm. This guy made a whole bunch of money. And at first I thought it was a, I thought it was a bunch of crap. But then after I started listening to him, I'm like, hey, this guy makes a lot of sense. And he said, every time you guys say something mm-hmm. or do something beyond your training, and your experience, right. your city's going to get sued. And every time your city gets sued, you're not going to get a raise because that money's going to lawsuits. Well, can it also be, and that's so valid. That makes so much sense. Absolutely. But then we have the officers that once they have said something, right, which everyone has due process, that is, that's supposed to be everyone. Yeah. Are still receiving pay. Are still being taken off of the, out of the, you know, not being an officer, but still receiving pensions when they have been proven guilty on something. At some point, we have to review how all of this works. Where is the accountability for anyone in any field? If you are doing something, if you kill someone, not it's in, I don't, you don't kill someone by accident, but not if it's in the line of duty and there's things that's happened. What? Where's the accountability when you go out and wow the heck on out because you now a cowboy with a badge and a gun? Yeah, yeah. So you see what I'm saying? So there is oh, something yeah. that can can be shifted, and maybe you have to pay part of your loss, part of that lawsuit back. I don't know. A lot of guys do. Um, it's called punitive damages. A lot of guys wind up getting sued. I know a guy who um, it's unfortunate he was doing his job and it was a legitimate job. Mm-hmm. He made a legitimate mistake. He wound up getting sued. The department paid some of it, but uh, um, um, in California, a lot of the uh, attorneys go after your pension. Wow! Because what winds up happening is a lot of the police officer unions cover the cops. That's how they're able to get their pensions. That's how they're able to keep that money, right? So they they might get fired, but they wind up getting their pension. A lot of cops and a lot of attorneys in California decide, you know what, I'm going after your pension. And once one of them worked, it started working for a lot of them. Mm-hmm. So now you're working to put money in your pension to pay somebody who you victimized. Right. I don't have a problem with that. But if it's, if it's one of those situations where it's like if it's a legit mistake. That's different. That's a situation. But if it's somebody who did something stupid, like you said, being a cowboy. And they're out there running around acting crazy. Cowgirl, whatever. Yeah, cowgirl. Then if they lose their pension, that's on them because they're the ones who put it in jeopardy. Right. Cow person. No, absolutely. I want to cover everyone because everyone's out there. And if there is no, um, if you have a badge, you have a badge, you have a gun, you have a gun. And 
I get that you're going out to do a job and I get that there's a lot of bad people out here. There's a lot of, and everyone is not mentally ill, but there's a lot of mental illness that's happening. Yes. It has, has shown us um, how weak of a system our mental health system is. So if you're not properly trained in dealing with this on a consistent basis, if you're not properly trained in the middle of a pandemic, who is, um, (laughs) you know, and then racial tensions. I also know officers don't always want to go for help. You know, I, 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 you know, have trained um, officers here in, in New York and I shouldn't say trained, but held sessions about diversity, equity, inclusion. They have the chaplains there. They have, the mental health there, but nobody wants to go somewhere it's going to be written in their jacket. Yeah, and you know the thing is with with, with that with that situation, I don't think it's something that should be in their jacket. Mm-hmm. I think they should be able to get help, to seek help, to receive it, and then move on beyond it. But a lot of times, you know, the the, the whole stereotype behind it is, I'm weak. No one wants to appear to be weak. Yeah. I'm or not. That- I'm not mentally strong. Right. And I think if I'm not mentally strong, then they're going to take my badge and my gun away. So they don't say anything. Right. But then there are so many within this, especially this last two years, I'm going to say two because it started before COVID, of officers taking their own lives. So yeah. there, there's a weak, there is no weakness in asking for help to the point that they're making it so you can't ask for help. And I know they have initiated all these programs, but clearly there's still a disconnect. Absolutely, yes. For the officers to feel the, I don't want to sound warm or fuzzy, but the comfort level to be go to go in and, and actually get the help to make them stronger officers, stronger human beings, stronger partners um, at work and at home, there's the disconnects. And that's where I figure... How do we re-examine? And is that by, how do we re-examine that? And is that just always going to be precinct to precinct, state to state? It probably is. And a lot of it is based on to what you experience when you're in the field. Um, If you've never been involved in a shooting, if you've never been involved and, you know, having to deal with a murder case or deal with the family members of certain things, this, that, and the other, then a lot of times you, you don't know what your limits are. You don't know what you can and cannot do. I think one of the things when they say defund um, or you say redistribute, I think one of the things that could be done is mandatory seeing a psych at least once or twice a year. Put money into that. Have somebody come to the station they can have a conversation with these officers. It's something that it's between the officer like it is. It, it's just um, um, Dr. Klein privilege. It's between the two of those people having that conversation. Right. Um, I think that would probably help because if you knew everybody had to do it, then you would probably be more willing. It's just like everybody had to learn how to shoot a gun. Right. Everybody had to go through driver's training. Everybody had to go through the training of running, you know, climbing hills, jumping through windows. Everybody has to do that. If you can't do it, then you can't cut being a cop. But now, because of all the things that are going on, if we need mental professionals 
mental health professionals, to help police officers, to help firefighters, mm-hmm. to help you know paramedics, then that's something that everybody should have to do, not just one or two individuals. Put the money there. Every six months, every six months, everyone has to go in. Um, yeah. And then the services, if you need it, should be thereafter. So yeah, exactly. I have to, I have to ask um, because I've seen so many reports, and and this is clearly your opinion and your thoughts on black and brown officers, regardless of gender. Is there a disparity in opportunity? Just like any job, yeah, there there is. Um, it's. I remember there was a job that I really um, wanted. Um, and it was a very elite job on the sheriff's department. It was emergency services detail. Mm-hmm. They don't hire a lot of people. They don't have a lot of openings. Um, these are the guys when, you know, when you hear about people in, in California, when they get lost in, in the forest mm-hmm. or something, or they get lost in, at sea or something, the, the deputy sheriff has emergency services detail. They go out and they look for them. They're scuba trained. They're paramedic trained. They, they repel. They rock climb. They do all the, all the crazy stuff. They're, and they also are SWAT trained. Mm-hmm. You don't see a lot of um, black and brown people in that department, in that part of the department. You don't see a lot of uh, black and brown people being promoted over certain areas. Like you don't see um, a lot of them running vice or running, you know, narcotics or running this or running that. You don't see a lot of that. And it's, it's one is because there weren't a lot of black and brown people being hired. Mm-hmm. But now that there are more of us you know, being hired on the department, you would think that they would open up areas for black and brown people to, to promote in the department. And a lot of them don't. Yeah. A lot of them don't. And it, it's sad because you're losing out on the knowledge that these people can bring to a certain area. So again, policy within needs to, as we keep saying, defund, de-shift, de-this. We need to look within and the equity for for officers, black and brown, gender, everyone when it comes to mental health needs to shift. What's your uh, one or two takeaways you would love for people to understand either about what's happening now, what you would like to see as a former officer? And you know, I'll I'll toot your horn. You are so you do so much more. Um, you are someone I trust with my life, have traveled with many, I'm going to toot his honey, many celebrities trust him with life and traveling and where you go and what you do. And, um, you are a true leader of not only law and order, but of humanity. So what would you like to share with people to, uh, how they should be looking at officers now? You know, it's, it's... (laughs) It's hard. It's hard. Cause like I say, every day I'm seeing something on the news and I'm like, these guys can't be this stupid. They keep doing stupid stuff. Then I look, I, I take, I take life. I take life in a 90, 10 rule. That's my rule. 90% of us are going about our lives, doing the best we can, making life good for everybody. There's 10% that are out there doing stupid stuff out there, creating problems and making problems. That's in law enforcement, that's in business, that's in everything. If we're at 90-10 right now and things are this bad, if it gets to 80-20, it's going to be really bad. So I, I would just say try to be a good citizen. 
Um, if you see something that's wrong, you know, like, you know, back in New York when I was there, you see something, say something, you see something, say something, you know, guys should be doing guys and, and men and women should be doing their job to the best of their ability. If they're not doing what they were taught to do, um, there were rules that we had to follow. They give you this training. They have you sign off on it. And it was a day when you did something stupid, they would fire you because you signed that you knew how to use your baton. You knew how to, you knew how to uh, control people. You knew how to put handcuffs on somebody. You knew when and, when and where to pull your gun out. So what wound up happening was now we got people doing stupid stuff. And it's almost like there's no repercussion behind it. They go to court. When they go to court, they don't lose. They win. Then they move on. And the system just looks really bad. But I just say, just be a good citizen. If you see something, say something. And just try and stay safe. That's so it's accountability. So huh? Accountability on both, on both sides. On both sides, yeah. Checks and balances, you know. Now there's checks and balances because everybody has a camera phone. Right. Before it was just, I check and I just do what I want to do. Now, oh, the balance is that person just recorded me. Those three people recorded me. And then they still dispute the video. Right. Wow, Joe, as always, you know, we could be on here for hours. I love speaking to you. I thank you so much for taking the time. For those that are watching, for those that are listening, um, please remember to expand beyond your current culture and uh, be a good citizen, as Joe would say. Thank you. Thank you.